Hi, everyone. Welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Andrea Pearson, and I'm here today with my two co-hosts. I'm Joe Lalo. And I'm Lindsay Baroker. And we've got an awesome guest today. His name is Mark Dawson. I'm not sure if our listeners have ever heard of him. I'm going to assume we've had a bunch of heard of him. He's shaking his head. <laughs> um, he is the brains and talent behind Ads for Authors and the Self-Publishing 101 course. Mark is an award-nominated USA Today bestseller with more than 20 books published and over 3 million books downloaded in multiple countries and languages. As well as writing, he also teaches other authors how to self-publish, and he speaks regularly at writing conferences all around the world. Welcome, Mark. Hello. Of all the podcasts, I don't listen to many podcasts anymore, but yours is on my rotation, as I demonstrated on Twitter the other day. <laughs> when you were like, we couldn't read your expression, we're like, is he pissed? I mean, what's <laughs> <laughs> No, I wasn't. I wasn't. I was happy. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, that, that sparked a, an internal debate with us. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Mission accomplished. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so um, we actually just wanted to get right into questions, if that's okay with you. Um, what is mm -hmm. your publishing story uh, and about how many books do you release a year right now? Publishing story, right? Well, I originally published, I'd always wanted to be a writer, like probably most people listen to the podcast, um, wanted to write ever since I can remember. And... I um, started, I, did, I, I, was a, I was a lawyer, so I trained as a lawyer, um, which was a terrible decision. I wasn't a very good lawyer. Paid well, but wasn't good, good at the job. I remember um, a friend of mine coming into the office one day and saying that I've written this, this novel and would you read it? And I did, and it wasn't very good, but he had actually finished something which I'd never done before. So that was the, the kick up the pants for me to sit down and start writing, which I did. Um, I um, sent a short story to an agent, several agents actually, and um, was very, very surprised that they, um, well, two, two out of the first three that I sent it to wanted to represent me. And I kind of told a, a small little fib and said, this is an extract from a novel that I've written. And they all said, look, uh, could, we, could we see the rest of the novel immediately, please? Because I didn't have that. So I spent the next three months ultimately making excuses for why they hadn't had the novel yet and writing the novel. Um, and so I managed to, to get that over to them. And um, the agent was uh, Ian Banks' agent, who's one of my favorite authors, um, you know, great sci-fi and a literary fiction author. And we, uh, they, they pitched it, got a deal. Again, quite easily and decent money for those days. It was about fifty thousand pounds, so sixty-five thousand dollars. Some of that for a couple of books. And I thought this was the start of my um, my exciting um, new career as a novelist. Uh, but it didn't work out that way. It was it was disappointing. Um, the books didn't sell. They were badly packaged. Uh, I thought the the marketing was negligible. I couldn't see anything that was really going on. Uh, they asked me to get the reviews. They sent me a box of books and said, "Go and get some reviews for your book." And I'm thinking to myself, "Well, you're getting ninety percent of the of the money on this this deal. So what are you doing exactly? Why am I doing this?" Um, so they, they and they also weren't very good books, which which didn't help. So they they didn't sell. Uh, I didn't make the advance back. And there was effectively two strikes and they, uh, they, they weren't prepared to give me another chance. So I stopped writing. I actually stopped reading and writing for about six or seven years. And it was only when uh, the Kindle came around that my um, enthusiasm was rekindled and I started writing again. And that was never entirely sure what, what year it was, 2011, 2012, something like that. I'm sure Lindsay was... Uh, Plowing ahead remorse, remorselessly at, the, at that stage. I remember on keyboards thinking she's doing really well. Um, and, um, I've never looked back. It was the, um, launching that first 
uh, indie book was was a life changing um, thing for me. It was um, wonderful to start getting emails from readers saying that they'd read my stuff. Um, then Amazon sent me some money, which was an unusual inversion because normally I was sending money to Jeff, and now Jeff was sending money to me, which is pretty weird. Um, and every year since then has been better and better. So. I've been a full-time author for nearly five years now. Um, made seven figures the last couple of years, um, and which is just remarkable and in- incredibly flattering that people like my stuff enough to 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 be able to enable me to support my my family by doing what I what I do. And you know, it's just amazing to see my kids growing up. Otherwise, I'd still be commuting back and forth from London every day. So that's a long way to answer the first one. And, and the, the second question: So, how many books do I release a year? Um, well, weirdly, um, I, I I've been blogging or kind of Facebook blogging income reports for the last couple of years, and um, I did last year did about one point six um, million. So that was my best year by quite a long way. Um, and when I actually looked back at how many books I released, it was two, which was weird because I, in my head, I was thought I must have done about five books last year, but I'd actually released two. The reason I thought I had more was because, um, I had a, an exclusive deal with Audible for an original project, which I had to give them for six months. So that was released in January this year, but it's been ready for about a year. And then I've got a new book and a new series that releases in about two weeks, which has also been ready for about four or five months. I just haven't released it yet. So I probably write about four books a year, but last year I only released two. Well, we appreciate you slumming with us here on the Six Figure Authors Show. You know, <laughs> uh, I think it was Alex Newton from Kalytics was saying, you should start the Seven Figure Authors Podcast. People would be <laughs> way more interested in that. And I was like, well, that'd be a smaller pool of guests to draw from. Um, so I'm curious what a launch looks for you, looks like for you these days. I, I assume when you do the Milton books, it's kind of like, well, here's a new one. And, the, you know, the series and kind of expect they're going to buy it. But uh I saw that in January you had the vault out, it looked like a standalone, and then you've got a new series launching pretty soon. It looks like. Um, what are your plans? Yeah, so um, Milton Books are. I mean, they are. That's the bread and butter. They just sell. I mean, we're sixteen books into the series now, and each release is better than the last one. So, I mean, I'm running a pre-order for um, this, the kind of a conclusion to a book that ended up on a unintentionally ended up on a cliffhanger um, last time, which is, is as we all know, tends to encourage people to buy the follow-up, but also encourages them to leave nasty reviews and send you nasty emails. So I've had a bit of that, but that, that's, that'll be about 10,000 pre-orders by the time that one goes live in a month or two. Um, so those ones are easy to market. That is just a question of my list. Um, which is, will, will always be my most valuable asset as a creative, um, and, and Facebook, um, with a little bit of bookbub in there as well. So I'll do, um, bookbub ads to people who, um, bookbub thinks are my, my followers. I'll do bookbub, bookbub pre-orders. I made a bookbub, uh, featured new release deal. I've been doing a few of those and I'll certainly do um, the CPM ads to people who bookbub thinks are, are my fans. Um, and I'll do the same thing with Facebook. So we'll always be, um, uh, using a custom list. So a custom audience based on my main list and send those uh, ads out to those people. And those will always convert really well and uh, always good for sales. So that's, that's pretty easy. Now I've done Milton enough times now that it's, um, I can do that. With my, with my eyes closed, very easy. With the vault, uh, that is, it's kind of a standalone, but it has um, 
tendrils in the, in the Milton series as well. So it's a very, very deep prequel without too many common characters, but it is based in that world. That was fairly similar. It's a similar kind of book, espionage, a bit more kind of nostalgia set in, in Berlin during the 80s and 90s. Um, so that's uh, that, that was fairly straightforward. The interesting one is Atticus, which is the, the new series. It's, it's um, a private detective series. So like the first um, Kindle books that I wrote. And so a little bit, Fairly different from the Milton books. Obviously, it's, it's still my voice. Uh, they, they're, it's still fast. It's, it's addictive, but it's more of a, a police procedural than an espionage thriller. So for that one, um, I've been doing, um, things I wouldn't normally do. So I've done, I did a blog tour and I normally tell people I don't bother with that because I, I don't think, I'm not entirely sure you get, um, bang for your buck, not in terms of the money spent, but the time you need to spend to, to do something like that. But I've tried that. Um, I've done a bit of um, press and PR. So I have a, uh, I've had a PR agent for a couple of years now. She, she's lined me up for, um, TV, um, not TV, radio and, um, newspapers and things. So I was on the national radio on Sunday. Um, again, doesn't, I don't think it really moves the needle, needle all that much, but I'm, I'm going to chuck everything at this point just to see if I can generate interest. And then, um, beyond that, um, I'm, you know, lucky enough to be good friends with writers like LJ Ross, um, Barry Hutchison, both of whom write in that genre very successfully. So, um, uh, they will be, pimping me a little bit to their audience as well. So this is a new, uh, you know, kind of a new book by an author we think that you'll like. Now, obviously, there's a pretty pro quo there. So um, for Louise, I, I pimped one of her books six months or so ago, and, and I'll be happy to extend that to Barry as well and, and to other people of that kind of level. So, yeah, a bit of a moving feast for this new one. You know, we'll see. Um, you know, maybe I've, maybe I've lost my, uh, my mojo and this will sink without trace, but, you know, hopefully not. Hopefully not. Uh, you mentioned earlier working with Audible. Uh, how big a part of your process is audio now? It is a big one, although I do suspect I'm leaving a little bit of money on the table with audio. So, And that's just because I'm, I am busy and I, there are things I, I just can't do everything. So the, in the early days, I did um, ACX productions of the Beatrix Rose books, which was, was fun, but there was a bit more work involved, uh, you know, just things like proofing the audio and stuff like that. And th it was only me in, in the business doing that. So, um, I, I was finding them harder to, to balance everything. So what I do now is uh, I typically will, um, license those rights to a producer, a company producing those audio books. So for most, most of the books since then, all of them, all of the Milton's, for example, um, I do deals directly with Audible Studios, um, which is great. They're fantastic. Um, you know, they've, they've got me some um, kind of quite high profile narrators. So, um, uh, Gemma Whelan, who's in Game of Thrones with Yara Greyjoy in Game of Thrones narrates. She's Beatrix. So that's been fun. We, the vault was a multicast drama. So they cast, um, Colin Murray, who played Merlin on the TV, you know, a ridiculously handsome Northern Irish, um, actor. He, he's fantastic. So, you know, we've done that with Atticus. Um, I, again, I thought about everything. I actually did some sums and worked out how much I thought I could make by doing it myself. And I figured out on, on average, I thought I'd make about $4 per sale if I did it through ACX. So I would have done a, a straight deal. I'd have found a, a, a narrator, paid them outright, and then uh, tried to you know, make money. Um, and I, and I would have done. I mean, there's no question they sell well. I think I would have done. I would have paid that off quite quickly, and then would have been into into profit. But I also um, invited 
um, others to make offers. And I got offers from Audible, from, uh, from Podium and from Tantor. And Tantor, to be honest, I'm not going to go into too many, too many details, but they blew me away with a massive advance. Um, it was uh, a six-figure advance, three audiobooks only. So I won't go in, in too much more than that. But um, I was really, really impressed with them. I, I met them at um, 20 Books in Vegas last year. I had a good chat. I, they asked to make an offer. I was expecting to politely say no. And I almost fell off my chair when they told me how much they wanted to 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 publish those books. So we're casting at the moment. Um, and so that will be like a, a traditional book deal. There, there'll be an advance. Um, and then we'll, once that's paid out, which will probably take a little while, um, but once that's paid out, then we'll share the royalties on a, on an agreed basis. Cool. Um, so how do you handle audio launches? Like, do you try to align them with the, uh, the release of the fiction, like the, the text or, or is there a, a lag? I'm just, I'm too impatient. Uh, if I've got something that's ready to go, um, I just, uh, I want it, I want it out there. Um, and so what typically happens is, um, I'll do a, um, once the, once the ebook and the print is ready, then I'll push those books out and they will, they will start to sell. I'll always note in the email to readers that audio is coming soon. I'll give them a rough idea when that is. Um, it's not optimal. I think you would, I I'd definitely do better um, if I had a simultaneous launch, but I'm just, I don't have the patience to sit around and wait for it. So, um, you know, I, I spoke to Tantor about this. We, you know, Atticus has been ready to launch for six months. Um, I would have waited maybe another month so that we could have lined up, but to actually agree the contract, select the narrator, produce the book, QC it, get it ready for, for launch. It would have been into May, I think, before we were ready to, to pull the trigger. And I, I don't want to wait that long. And to be fair to them, they're, they're very happy to, to, to stagger it. So I'll just end up doing another kind of mini launch with another um, email to my list when the, when the audiobook's ready to go. Now, as somebody who's been basically keeping tabs on you and your career since you were very first interviewed by Simon Whistler, this is really oh, exciting God. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long time ago. Yeah, no, but seriously, this is really exciting. I'm like, holy cow, he's got so many awesome things going for him now. That's this is fantastic. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so you're one of the few authors with big courses who doesn't have nonfiction books to create traffic. Um, would you recommend other authors have books to help drive traffic for courses, or is that? I do have. I do have books. Do so you? I could not find are... any, and I've been trying to find them for no. a while. So are they under that's Mark the, that's Dawson? Deliberate. What's that? They're cloaked. Oh. They're cloaked. It's de it's deliberate. So, um, yeah, they they're not very well cloaked. It's M J <laughs> Dawson. Um, so and and they they're co-written. So we have um we've done one on Facebook ads, one on Amazon ads. They're very short. So they're they're not. If you want a Facebook ads book, get um, Mal Cooper's book. If you want um a book on productivity, anything that Joanna Penn writes, um, mm -hmm. that's where you should go. If you want a kind of a primer on Facebook ads or Amazon ads, um, or BookBub ads, or we've got one on launching, we've got one on getting reviews. We, we have, if you go to the S SPF website, um, there is a resources tab. And if you dig into there, you'll find maybe 10 books. Now we've got short books. Um, and the reason we do that, it's not, it's not really, I mean, some some nonfiction um, businesses and people running those businesses will have a book because it give, they think it gives them a, the kudos. You know, I have a book. Now, all of us know that that doesn't mean anything. Um, 
anyone can print a book these days. It doesn't really matter. The, the reason we do it is because um, we have, we, we, you know, we run reader magnets for the SPF side of the business, just the same as I would run reader magnets for the, to build my main, main list. So we have at the moment, I think the book that's getting us the most um, interested new um, subscribers to the SPF mailing list is a book on Instagram. Um, we've been, it's weird that the ones that the ones that take off, but this one is we probably spend about two thousand two two and a half thousand dollars a week on Facebook ads just for this Instagram book. And that's bringing us in um, subscribers at around about $2 per subscriber, which is, is competitive in the space that we're in. Uh, so it, I, I would recommend um, authors, if you're in a nonfiction, uh, if, you, if you're interested in nonfiction, one of the tactics that is, is effective is to, uh, is to write a book. And you can either write a, a kind of a, 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 a slightly more substantial book, if that's what you want to do, or it could be something shorter with the with an upsell. And I hate to use marketing language with an upsell at the end. So read a book about Amazon ads. Here's a here's a mini course about Amazon ads, or here's um consulting about Amazon ads. So that that kind of thing works very very well to to build a list quite quickly. And that's crazy. I, I listened to your podcast, and I swear I haven't heard anything. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't make a big deal about it. I mean, um, it's it's really just they're available on the website, and they occasionally people will stumble on them. But we we push them quite hard as as um, ebooks via Facebook ads, and you uh, maybe you're just not seeing those. Um, which yeah, you know, we, uh, we, we've spent so much money on Facebook ads. It's you know it's ridiculous. The only ads I ever see are Brian Cohen's, <laughs> and I've mentioned that to him ah, before. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so author name and titles. I mean, I mean, do you want us to? I mean, yeah, listeners would probably like to know about them. Yeah, just go to um, selfpublishingformula.com under the resources tab. Um, you can you can grab any of them there. We've got some new ones coming up. We've got a really good one on. Um, I do a webinar on. 10, it's a kind of a beginner webinar on 10, 10 ways to get reviews ethically without getting into trouble with Amazon. And we've just taken that, that webinar and written a five or 10,000 word short, you know, pamphlet, I suppose. Uh, but that's, that's available for free as well. So you, you'll be able to grab that too. See, when I visited your website to look around, I got distracted by all the merchandise, shirts, and T-shirts. And you may oh. be happy to know I've seen it in the <laughs> wild here in Oregon. No way. Yes. Well, he's a 20 books guy. But uh, uh, okay. it was one of the, <laughs> the new ones. Not the Igni... Is it Igneous Beetle? Ligneous Beetle? <laughs> I don't know. I know. That's a funny story. We haven't got time for that now, but we I, I basically got um, an email from... A very, very rude person who um, was very sniffy about the books that I write and was very uh, up himself, shall we say, about the books that he wrote. And his books were absolutely execrable. They were, they were terrible. And so one of the, uh, what I did was, he doesn't know this, I don't think. Um, I did a speech at, at Vegas and um, instead of the, the 20 books, um, levels of kind of success being fish related, we decided to make them Christopher Peterson related. So we've got things like um, uh, Ligneous Beetle. I don't even know what that means. What's a Ligneous Beetle? <laughs> I've no idea. Um, I'm a smug shit, apparently. Um, so you may need to bleep that one. Sorry, everyone. Um, and what else? Well, uh, talentless Hack. So it's just, uh, we, we, and for a bit of a laugh, because we've got this conference coming up, we thought we'd make uh, some sweatshirts and some t-shirts and, and make them available as, as merch and they've actually sold quite well which is is i don't know what that says about authors but there you go 
we like to be in a group of other people <laughs> like yes. us, I guess. Yeah. Um, so we do have questions on ads and um, your translations and stuff. But before we jump into that, I am curious. I think you're the first indie author we've had on. Well, we had Joanna Penn on who does thrillers. You also do thrillers. And I've heard people say it's kind of a tough one when you're self-published because maybe there are so many big names being served by traditional publishing. But it's also a huge readership if you can <laughs> if you can get in there. Do you have any thoughts on indies that are thinking maybe thrillers? Um, yeah, go for it. I, I I don't think there's personally I don't think there's any uh, genre that we can't do well in um, because we have so many advantages based on you know in contrast to our traditionally published opposition. The main one being price. You know, I still see uh, the you know, the new Lee Child ebook is is going to be fifteen bucks. Which is absolutely ludicrous. Um, I can, you know, I'm not saying I'm Lee Child, but I, I can certainly make a, an attractive offer to his readers, and I do, and I have done for about four years, where it's for six ninety nine, they can get three books that are quite that are liked by his fans. Um, so I can that, that's that's been a rich theme for me for a long time, um, and yeah, it's it's a big it's a big genre. I think um, if you look at um, and Alex was mentioned earlier. If you look at the Kalytics um, data, I think thrillers is possibly the second biggest after romance. Um, so really big readership. Um, they chew through books. Um, you, you write a series that's compelling, get people to go from book to book, price it competitively, but also, you know, don't be scared of, you, you don't need to price too low. Three ninety nine, four ninety nine, five ninety nine. Those are all very viable price points for thrillers. Uh, you can do really well. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm very optimistic and quite bullish about indie authors being able to sell pretty much anything that we want to. I mean, I, I've, I've taught thousands and thousands of authors now, and we've seen some really weird genres. Um, from very very small niches to to the really big broad ones, and we've you know we've seen success stories in in pretty much all of them. So yeah, go for it. And that 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 uh, goes very well into my question here, which is um, you, there are pros and cons for both sides of the genre spectrum. Like if you pick a popular, well established genre, the audience is enormous, inexhaustible, but it's so, somewhat saturated. And there's gonna be more competition, so it'll be harder to stand out. Meanwhile, if you pick a, like a niche. Uh, you're likely to stand out, but you're less, you know, there's a ceiling to your earnings. So let's say that somebody is equally interested in writing a, a say, a thriller or, you know, one of the current small niches. Uh, if they were just starting today, which would you suggest that they target? That's really easy. So it's a good question, actually. I, when I saw this question before, I was like, that's, a, that's an interesting question, but it's, it's actually quite easy to answer. For me, speaking personally, I always look at this as like a Venn diagram. So what you need to do is you have um, two circles and the left-hand side is what you want to write and on the right-hand side is what you, th what you think the readers want. The trick is finding the intersection between circle one and circle two and that's, that's where you should be aiming at. So, I mean, I have tried to, um, after my second traditionally published book, crashed and burned um and my name was scrubbed off um rolodexes throughout london um i um i thought i know what i'll do i'll write something that is deliberately kind of um honed and targeted to to be the kind of an airport thriller um so really you know high concept pretty stupid uh, but very compelling easy to easy to chew through on the beach and that was in, in 20 years of writing that was the only time i've had to struggle to open my laptop because i absolutely hated writing it and um and that 
difficulty in writing it is very obvious in the writing itself. It's a terrible book. Um, it will never be published. Um, you know, I don't think I've got it anymore. Thank God. Um, so that was, that, that is not the way to do it. Um, you've got to find that, that sweet spot be- between what you like and what you think the readers will like. And then that, that's where you go for. And it doesn't really matter if it's, it could be a very small niche. So my favorite story from the people that we've had through the courses is I always get this very slightly wrong, but her name is Octavia Randolph and she writes something like, um, historical Scandinavian romances set in the 1860s. So objectively that is a, that you would think is a very small niche, but, um, after taking the course, and it's not obviously not all to do with the course. She's a very good writer, but she, after learning how to use digital marketing to find her tribe, she was doing, I think the month after that, she was doing 35,000 a month. And I think it's doing better than that now. So even in those you would think would be small and the internet, one of the amazing things of the internet is it enables us to, f- us to find members of our tribe, regardless of how weird or esoteric that tribe might be. We can, we can put our books and our messages in front of them. And, and hopefully if our stuff is good enough, we can build up an audience, you know, the thousand true fans, that, that old cliche, we could build up the thousand true fans that should be enough to sustain us as creatives. And then the, and then the, what is it? The mission, the goal or whatever is to keep those thousand true fans engaged and, some of them will fall off and then putting them, putting new ones back on, right? Yeah, absolutely. Got to always refreshing, you know, the, um, there will be people who, you know, who, who drop off. I mean, I've, I've, I've had readers die now. Obviously, before, um, it's weird actually. The, the, I was, the other day, I got an email from um, someone who I'd been corresponding with for ages and he was in hospice. Um, and so you kind of think eventually he, he won't be around anymore. And, and an email back to me from a launch email was from a relative to say that he, he'd passed away. And this was a, a reader who'd been with me. I remember him very fondly because it was one of the first emails I received as I kind of built my list for the first time. And it was kind of like, oh, that was, that's quite sad. You know, this, this guy was a big fan of mine for a long time and now he's not with us. Um, so, you know, now I need to find someone else who can join the list and you know, continue to, to, to grow. Yeah, no kidding. Um, well, actually, uh, I'm trying to think. We got a question about your your list, and this is not on, on, on script. <laughs> but That's okay. Uh, do you, how do you, do you like, wait, actually, I think Lindsay might be asking this question later. Lindsay, are you asking the question about list cleaning later? Go ahead and ask it. This is somebody from the Facebook group. Mark, we said you're coming on the show and does anybody have questions? And usually we go like two or three questions for the guests. I don't know how many there were, like 20, 30, like, like 50. 50. Mark's just going to have to stay all night. <laughs> go ahead and ask it. Do, do you clean your lists? I mean, wh- I mean, you, you have people that pass away. You just expect them to clean themselves. Because I've been on your list and I like went a whole year without opening anything. And I was still on your list, which I appreciated because you know, I was like, I'm gonna yeah, <laughs> I, I don't clean my list. Um, I don't think I ever have. And there's, there's reasons for that. I mean, it could be, you know, as you know, you, you weren't interested in buying fillers. You may have moved on to another genre, but maybe in a year's time, you fancy a filler again and you might, you know, you, you might want to, you might see mine and pick it up. Um, the main reason though is because, um, I don't trust the technology, um, all the time. So I, you know, we, we all know that. Um, you know, Mailchimp and MailerLite, the numbers that they report to us are is it's a good indication, but it's not necessarily going to be 100 percent accurate. So there are ways to get around that. You can send emails out encouraging people who may not show up in your stats to do something active, so click a button or join another list, or you know those kinds of things. But um, I just 
I don't want to do it. I, I, I'm, I'm too busy. Um, and I don't particularly buy, you know, I'm quite happy with an open rate of 30% on a hundred thousand list. Um, could I get 40% on an 80,000 list? Probably, but I'd probably get more opens on a 30% on a hundred thousand. So it's, it's not something that really bothers me. Also, of course, you can do things with mailing lists that don't have anything to do with, with, um, email. So you can build custom audiences on Facebook and then you can use uh, those custom audiences to build big lookalike audiences. And the more data points that you have for Facebook to, to work um, on building that lookalike, the more accurate and responsive that lookalike will be. So, um, you know, loads of reasons why I don't, I don't do it. I don't think there's anything wrong with cleaning your list, but it's not high on my list of priorities. Okay. Yeah. I kind of, I don't know, every, you know, everybody puts so much emphasis on that open rate thing and it just, it's, it's always made me a little uncomfortable because like as a reader myself, once I find an author I like, I don't generally stop liking them. I just move away for a little while. But I mean, I do clean my lists and, and I mean, now that I'm using a different program, I don't anymore because it's doesn't cost me anything to keep them. But yeah, I've always been like, if you want to know how good and a, your subject line is, it's beneficial to have a clean list, you know, because then you know if they're actually opening. But if you've been paying attention to your opens and clicks, you're going to know that anyway, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. Okay. And sorry, Lindsay, I can't remember if you were asking that <laughs> in the future. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we wanted to talk about translations and ads in other countries a little bit. Um, we did have a bunch of people ask about that, but um, a lot of authors want to get their books translated in, um, into other languages. Uh, what are things they should have in place first and where should they start? All right, well, we could do a whole podcast on that, and um, it's it's a big area. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, um, I I I spoke at an Amazon Academy event in Berlin about two years ago. So they flew me out to Berlin, which was pretty cool, and I spoke to loads of Germans about what we were doing in the UK. Um, and I could, I mean, I already knew this, but I could see uh, just by being in the room that they were. Um, not as nowhere near as many authors in German as there are in the other in, in the English speaking languages, but a very big um, book buying public. Germans love reading; right? they absolutely love reading. It's a big, voracious market, and it's underserved with with um, with authors, especially indie authors. You could, you could do cool and funky things with marketing and and promotion and pricing and all that kind of stuff. So I um, started looking into what I needed to do, um, and. For, I suppose the last 18 months I've been working on uh, German, French, and Spanish. Those are my kind of three first tier markets beneath the, the English speaking markets. And, and things I think it's, it's useful to have. I mean, having in more than one book is going to be useful. Um, just in the same way that ads work better with multiple books in English because especially in series, uh, you get read through. So read through is going to make this, make it possible to spend a bit more on selling the first book if you know that there's a back end that people can continue to read through. So um, that's, it's useful. I'd say probably uh, two or three books is probably the minimum in order to, to you know, maximize your chances. Then um, the next thing is uh, you need to get a good translator. Now it's difficult when you don't speak the language. Right? I don't speak any German, not even, well, I can speak, you know, ja and nine. That's probably as that's, I think I've exhausted my German uh, vocabulary there. Now, unless you're Ricardo Fayette from Reason, he speaks about a billion languages. Um, he's probably listening to this. So kudos, kudos to Ricardo, but I don't speak anything. I don't even, I don't speak French, I don't speak Spanish, I don't speak German. So um, getting a translator is tricky. You know, there are places like Babel Cube, which has been around for 
ages. And I actually, uh, occasionally, I was on Babel Cube and I never pulled the trigger, thank God. Um, and the, the reason it's difficult is because there's no QC on there. You don't know how good the, the translation is if you don't speak the language. So the way I got around it was just by thinking laterally, I decided to take advantage of the uh, expertise of the tr traditional houses in Germany. And I figured out, well, let's, let's see who translates the AAA titles in German. So I found Lee Charles. Um, translator. Um, I found Steve Larson's translator. I found, um, who else? Donna Tart, um, James Patterson. So I approached those guys directly and said, look, would you be interested in taking on these projects? Um, and the guy I went with, first of all, was, um, was the, the, the Goldfinch by Donna Tart. And he did the first couple. He actually did the first three in the Beatrix series. It's a, it's a self contained trilogy. So I thought it'd be a good one to test. So uh, he, he um, translated them. The next problem I had was, um, how can I proofread it? Because I don't speak German. So uh, I, I had to get a proofreader. Now, awkwardly, um, a very uh, good, a very long-standing and loyal fan of mine is German, and she offered to um, uh, to proof it. And um, she, I don't know what happened really. She didn't like the translation, and she she said the first one was quite good, the second one was okay, and the third one was like it had been translated in Google Translate. Now I'm, I'm like, this is awful. Um, so stupidly, I sent her comments back to the translator. He was understandably very irritated. Um, perfectly reasonably. Um, and anyway, it turns out they're very good translations. So I don't quite know what happened, but the, to get around that, um, I've now got an editor, German editor, who edits the, the, um, the transcripts because these are all original uh, literary works. They all need to be edited just like uh, an English book that I'm, I would write would need to be edited. They then go through a proofreader and then they get uploaded. So that's that's what the production line looks like. Obviously, then you need a, a good relationship with your cover designer because you're going to need to change the title. You're going to need to mess around with the um, the, the, the cover. Um, you need to have a good contract with your translator, um, and you need to be aware of the laws. The law will be different in Germany with regards to copyright uh, than it would be in France. You're going to need um, someone who can help with copy on ads. Again, if you don't speak the language, you're going to need someone who can write punchy ad copy, you know, perhaps to your suggestion, but you're going to need to get it translated. And then you're going to need to get readers. Um, and so you've got to learn, you know, you're going to use the ad platforms. You're going to have to build a list. You might need to correspond with them in German. So again, you're going to need a translator to translate your, your, you know, your amazing, um, emails to your readers so that they, you know, they can understand it. And I'm getting, I'm getting emails now from Germans in German, obviously. Um, and what I have to do is I have to use Google Translate to do that. So they, they might say, I've, your book is very exciting. So I know what the word for exciting is in German now, which is there's progress being made. Um, and, and then I'll respond to them by basically using Translate to put it back into German again. And I'll, at the end, I'll just say, look, I'm very sorry. I don't speak German. This Google has assisted me with this. And generally they're very nice about it. But so it's, it's complicated. Um, it's expensive. Um, that's the big barrier to entry on, on translation is that it costs a lot of money to, to do. Um, but the upside is, is big. Um, you know, I'm, I, I, there's a couple of days last week when German was my second biggest marketplace, including the UK and the US. Um, and that's with a third of the books that I have available in those other markets. So big, big opportunity in, in those places. You definitely made it clear it's a lot of work and it's going to be expensive. Mm. And I think that's why most authors who try it have not made their money back. Um, Amazon ads being in Germany now, I assume, has kind of changed things. What, what did your launch look like? Did you have the, the trilogy and start with that? 
Yeah, they they went out kind of one at a time, um, but they were reasonably close together. So what I did with Beatrix was um, I started almost exclusively with Facebook ads. And I I, I have a graph, I, I probably did it, I've, I've kind of talked about it on stage a couple of times where you can see where the ads go on. It's really clear. So the, the you know, you have selling one or two books a day because bear, bear in mind, um, until a year ago, no one knew who I was in Germany. I, I was a complete nobody with no list, um, no reputation and no books available. So I, I was effectively a noob. So I switched the ads on and you could immediately see, um, sales plateauing um and then or, or rising quite quickly and then you can you you wait two or three weeks and look what happens to the second book and then you can see the read through and then the third but you can see that read through um, flowing through those books so um yeah facebook ads work pretty well in germany uh, again the same reasons i think why the platform is exciting that there's not that much competition in the author space you know we we, we all know and listeners will know if you like a few pages or you know you, you navigate on a few websites on facebook in the us or the uk you're going to get um retargeting ads and you get a you get a lot of ads from other authors in your newsfeed it doesn't really happen to the same extent in germany because there is there's literally a handful of authors who are advertising at that kind of level to, to make a difference uh, and that's also true for um, amazon ads so they again they, there's you know there are authors who are doing very well i can think of a couple um who are i'm you know, I'm Facebook friends with them now. Um, and you know, they are, they're spending quite aggressively, but you're not getting, you know, the LT Ryan's, you know, who's basically bombards ads, um, in the US and the UK. You're not getting, that's in my genre. Um, you know, you're not finding those kind of, um, ads being crowbarred into places where they probably ought not to be because they're not relevant. Um, it's just a much fresher, um, environment with, with less competition. Okay. Now, this is a potentially very small question that, that I have, but it's this is the kind of thing that sticks in the back of my head. Most of my translation work, and I've had a fair amount of success in, uh, uh, in Germany as well, is through a small German publisher, and they handle it entirely on their side. Uh, through circumstances that are kind of bizarre, I'm going to find myself in possession of a, uh, of a French translation, which has not been edited. That I, They're like, we don't know what to do with it if you want to try try it and you when you were given the pipeline you got to the and then they are uploaded and like the, the question is is there a different upload process for a, a book that is native to another language like are you just putting it up on your kdp with the same way you would anything else or is there's the mm. attempt to put it someplace through the original like storefront platform that possible? no it's just just through kdp so what you'll need to do uh, is is an instructive tip that will save you some money um i um put the first so i've got six milton books up now and you have to go through it very carefully because the some of the boxes that you'll just flick over quickly um, because you've uploaded into English a hundred times um, you you do need to pay attention to those and the first box is what language is it in so the first five books I got it right and put it was in German and the sixth book I put it was in English and I didn't notice on the store page um, that it was the third of the sixth which says that it was an English edition and I wasn't sure why that book was selling at about a seventh of, of the other books until a reader said, uh, do you know that that's listed on Amazon.de as, as the English edition? So I changed that and no word of a lie, that book is currently the best selling out of all those books. And it's, it's like 170 in the store and has been for a couple of weeks. And that was the only thing that I changed was that I correctly classified it as a German edition rather than English. 
So, yeah, those things are just pay attention to that, but nothing else is different. It is effectively the same. And if you wanted to, you could you know, geographically limit it so that your French edition is only available in France. But I wouldn't recommend that because you'll you have French readers everywhere. So, you know, Montreal, for example, has lots of people who read French. So you don't want to um, prevent them from, from buying it if, if they want to. And that's a really good point. Um, I mean, my family's German. I don't speak German, but I mean, we have German speakers that are here in the States, you know, so there's no point in secluding or not including them or whatever. Um, yeah, so- and I mean, I, I can track with when I, mean, I use Genius Links all the time to when I'm sending mails out or, or Facebook ads too sometimes. And you can see a book with a German ad, you know, it's a German ad because it's in German. Um, mm-hmm. And you can see where those clicks are going. And I'm getting a lot of clicks in the States stands to reason as you say there's lots of german speakers who would like to read in german not in germany um so there's no sense in limiting yourself exactly um you switched your books to kindle unlimited a little while ago it's been a couple of years i think um what was the deciding factor behind that and how has it gone and basically how should other authors approach similar decisions so going wide after being in kindle unlimited or going into kindle unlimited so i've i've done it both ways now. I was originally in KU. I was originally wide. When I first started, I was everywhere. Then KU came along. So I, I went into KU. It was quite successful. Got a couple of the early all-star bonuses. Um, then something pissed me off. I don't know what it was, but I decided, you know, uh, Jeff annoyed me. So I, I'm going to go wide again. So I went wide. Absolutely love, I mean, f- uh, kind of philosophically, I don't like exclusivity at all. Um, and I've got good friends who work for Apple, for example, and I know the Coburg goes very well. So I, I love being on those platforms. But um, it was about, as you right, it was about two years ago, and I was starting to notice other authors who I knew, um, and they were kind of dropping in how much they were making, and they were selling a lot more than me. Um, they were, you know, doing 100 to 150 a month, um, and, and a good half of that would have been through KU. So I thought, I'm quite competitive, right? And, and, I, and a good way to judge how you're doing is, is how much are you selling? So I thought, okay, I'll give this a try. And so the advice I would give people who are thinking about, I suppose either way, but specifically going into KU, I had enough in the catalog to basically test it. So I took the first six Milton books and I took them off wide and put them into KU. I think it was like November... 2017 or 2018, something like that, but as, as you say, around about two years ago. And um, immediately, the it was just remarkable. Um, I don't know exactly why. Obviously, I'm advertising, so there's a bit of that, but um, that was my best month for, for ages. And I, I knew within about a week, because um, I could see um, income was basically doubled over what I was getting wide. I knew within a week that by the end of the year, everything would be in KU. And, and that is exactly what happened. I mean, I even, I tried to try and, um, I said to the, and I know, I know a good few Amazon, Amazonians now, and I said, look, I'm thinking about going into KU. Do you think maybe, I know you've done it occasionally before. Could I have maybe a week or a month to test it with, with, you know, some in KU and, and basically not have the exclusivity requirement? And they were like, nope. Definitely not. It's one or the other. Um, so I had no choice, but I, I put them in and it's been nuts. It's in the you know, last year was, the year before last was, was crazy. The last year was more crazy. And, you know, this year is, is, is heading in that direction too. So, you know, I am, I love, I love the wide platforms. I love the other guys, but just as a, as a business decision for me, it was, it's, it's quite hard to not see it as a, as a big success. 
Yeah, that's completely understandable. I mean, numbers, <laughs> numbers are hard, you know, hard, concrete. You can't really argue with them. Uh, all right. So I have two small questions. Uh, first off, we hear from a lot of people, as several people on this very podcast, who start in KU and then go wide, if only because it avoids the whole process of tracking down and eliminating potentially dozens of listings of different storefronts. So how hard is it to exclusivize a book? Like, was it a troublesome process? No, really easy. So, I mean, I was, I, when I was wide, I was direct to Kobo, um, direct to Apple, uh, direct to Google and use D2D for, um, Barnes and Noble because you can't easily get to it through, from the UK here and all the small stores that, that, that those guys uh, enable access to. Uh, so it really was just a question of, of going through them. Perhaps it took me a half a day just to tick a few boxes. Um, and, and hit submit and it was done. And I, I haven't had any issues with Amazon nasty grams telling me that I still got orphan books left on some weird store in Italy that Kobo gets to. Uh, it's been, it was really easy. No problems at all. Oh, that's excellent. And this one, I don't know if you would necessarily know the answer to, but, uh, do the translations, just to tie it in the translation books, uh, talk, do the translations violate the exclusivity clause? Like, do they count as the same book or could they be wide? Um, that's a good question. My now, as as a lawyer, as a as a kind of recovering lawyer, my instinct would be no, because they're original works. So then they are effectively fresh copyrights. So I don't think that they would. Um, but I haven't I haven't looked. That's the first time I've heard that question. It's an interesting one. I think the only way to know the answer would be to look through the terms of service. And frankly, who has time to do that? So um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think you're probably okay, but it's it, you might want to check. Yeah, who has time to know what they're doing legally? <laughs> no, terrible idea. <laughs> um, okay, so um, I signed up for your Ads for Authors course, uh, I think probably about four years ago, and I've never looked back. It's been, out of all of the big courses I've purchased, it's been by far the most valuable. Um, what sorts of things go on behind the scenes to make that happen? I mean, you get bonuses that you change your bonuses, you, you update the content. I mean, it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, first of all, checks in the post. Thank you very much. Um, very kind of you. Um, it is a lot of work. It's, um, yeah, we, we've, we could have made it easier for ourselves. I mean, we could have said it's a year, it's a year license. Um, then you have to buy it again, or we could have made the decision that we wouldn't update it. Um, but I, there aren't cheap courses. And the way I look at things is I, I want to completely over deliver on value so that word of mouth, we want people to say things that you was just so you were kind enough just to say there is that it's a good course. I've got great value from it. That's, that's, that's the best marketing we'll ever be able to get. So, um, we, we, we made the decision when you, when you signed up, it would have been Facebook ads for authors. Uh, it's now called ads for authors because it's Facebook's Amazon, it's BookBub, it's copywriting, it's cover design, it's YouTube, it's Pinterest, it's Instagram. We basically will put everything in there and it's got to be high quality too. And I mean, the Amazon course we are going to be putting out soon. You, it will be the best in the world. We've got, um, Janet Margot who ran Amazon ads for books in Seattle. Um, is a friend of mine and she is producing a course. So from an Amazonian, um, in a lot of detail and everyone who is a, is a member of the course will get that for free. So we, we won't charge again for that. Um, so I think that's, that's kind of the ethos we have behind it. But in terms of the actual work that goes on, um, it is, it's a lot of work. And, and today, especially you've caught me on a, a particularly hard day at work. Um, 
because we've got a launch on Wednesday, the 101 course, which is our kind of um, uh, beginner to intermediate course, goes live on Wednesday. So there's a lot of work to get that ready. We've got our conference um, at the moment next Monday. So we've got a thousand authors coming to London. Uh, we've got 650 of them going on a boat on the Thames in the evening. We've also sold uh, about another 800 digital tickets again to authors. Um, so I, I'm doing that. I, I program it. So I'm got. I'm working with. Um, Various speakers. We've got some people coming to Salisbury where we are to have a little kind of salon retreat over the weekend. There's a ton of work. Um, the only way that's possible is because I have an amazing team, um, that helps me with SPF. So James, everyone will know from our podcast. James is, is unbelievable. He has an incredible work ethic. He, he'll, he, he wants to learn. Um, and so he'll, he'll, he'll pick up things as he goes along. We've got John Dyer, who we, we kind of lock in the cellar, bring him out occasionally, but he's, he's a, he's, you know, fundamentally important to the business as well. I think on that side of the business, we've got about 10 people now, including one permanent member of staff, um, Tom, he does a podcast for us as well. Um, and the team works really well. I mean, we, we, we have, you know, weekly meetings. Um, they trust me to, you know, I, I'm, I can't, I suppose I'm kind of the, the face of it and the strategist. Um, James keeps things running. Uh, without James, there would there'd be no SPF. And everyone else kind of has has a role to do and they all do it really well. So, um, yeah, it's a ton of work. Um, but it also, it's great. I, mean, I, I just, you know, I saw Lindsay in, in Vegas um, for 20 books. And, you know, to be able to keynote Vegas with over a thousand people in the audience and then for Craig to come out dressed as a dinosaur. I mean, it, that's a, where, where are you going to get that kind of um, entertainment from? It's, um, you know, it's, it's very lucky to do this. Yes, I, I was trying to explain the dinosaur to people who were just watching the mm. YouTube videos. And I'm like, well, I actually was there and I don't think I can explain it, but um, it was fun. <laughs> well, the, the, the kind of the inside story was um, uh, Craig was trying to propose a collaboration with me, which would be about dinosaur porn he wanted to do a dinosaur porn maybe kind of a chuck tingle type novel um and so he he decided to try and throw me off my stride by by appearing as a dinosaur and i have to say it did work um because that wasn't what i expected to see coming out of the wings very strange but you know he's a strange guy all right well that's good to know that I, you weren't in on it you did not seem to be in on it you seemed a no, little concerned no. honestly i was very concerned <laughs> So you mentioned with the Ads for Authors course that you're covering a lot of different platforms now. Which would you say, I, I think I've heard on, on your podcast, you mentioned that last year you were really in with Amazon and you talked about doing the AMG ads. Are, are you still loving Facebook? Or are you, do you kind of alternate to access the different audiences? Yeah, exactly. I, I think they, they have, um, they allow you to pull different levers at different times. So, um, Amazon is getting ads on the platform and interrupting people in their buying journeys when they're, they're actually searching for something to buy there and then. That's the, that's the value of Amazon ads. Um, and it could be through AMS or AMG and the dog has just come in. So if you hear any woofing in a minute, it'll be, uh, he's wandering around there somewhere. Um, yeah. So that, that's, that's the main benefit of Amazon ads is, is that the conversion should be higher because you don't have to get them off the social platform onto, onto the buying platform. Now, on the other hand, Facebook, um, is, um, 
incredible uh, with its targeting. So you can, you know, you can find your niches with Facebook ads a little bit easier potentially than you can with Amazon ads. Um, it's really good for building up a list. Uh, you know, it's still, still effective to do that. And for me at the moment, it's still, it's really powerful to, um, get into foreign, in, into other countries. So I'm running a lot of um, French ads at the moment and German ads, especially. And, and those are, converting at a, a pretty high rate because I suspect um, those markets are about, I don't know, maybe three years behind where the English-speaking markets are. So you kind of remember those gold gold rush days of Facebook ads when I started doing them. Um, you, you, you're not likely to get those four to 500% returns on investment in the US and UK these days, but you can still do that in, in those, uh, those smaller markets. For someone who's budget conscious, which is most people, <laughs> um, do you feel like, like I've watched Amazon ads, the suggested bids just go up and up, and I'm sure Facebook is in a similar place. Do you have any, I'm sure you'll cover this in your course, but just uh, to tease people who <laughs> may be thinking of the course, any suggestions for finding the lower clicks, but still getting enough play that it can move the dial on your sales and sales ranking? I mean, the most important thing is, I think, is not to be obsessed with the cost per click, right? It's important. It's a good indication of how healthy an ad is. And obviously, the lower the click is, the, the better that better it's going to be. But, um, you know, I've had Amazon ads running at uh, $1.20, $2 a click. And those ads have been profitable. Um, so the most important thing is always, for me, going to be, is this ad making me money? And you can look at it on either a kind of an immediate basis, as in, is the ACOS below 70%? Um, and there's lots of reasons why you don't want to focus on ACOS, but that's a, another good kind of health check. Um, or you could also look at it in a longer term play as to what's the, what's the read through value of that first book that you're selling. And it might, if, if you've got five or six books in a series or maybe 15 books in a series, you might find that that first sale is not worth 70% of $2.99, it might be worth $15. And if, if that's the case, then you might be able to afford to bid those kind of $1 clicks, which seem eye-wateringly expensive, but might actually be profitable for you. All right. Now, like that's a good piece of information. And it, we, we talk about, there's lots of different ad platforms. I mean, there's basically like three big ones, but there's you could just search forever and find more and more. Mastering a single ad platform is hard enough. Mastering two or three can seem completely impossible. Are there any sort of skills that are like broadly applicable across multiple ad platforms? Um, yes, there are. So, I mean, uh, a little bit, I mean, I'm not good at maths at all, or math, as, as you guys might say. Um, I'm, I'm not good at that at all, but I'm just about good enough to be able to um, put together a spreadsheet that enables me to track the essential numbers that I need to see. So um, I'll keep an eye on CPC. I'll keep an eye on the conversion. So the number of clicks compared to the number of views on an ad, impressions. Um, and I'll definitely look on, on return on investment. So that's the key one to make sure that you know um, that you're making money or you're losing money. So you know what to do. So that, that's kind of, that, that's the, I think that's the most important thing to be successful with ads is to is to at least be a little bit comfortable with the spreadsheet. Um, you don't have to be a ninja, but it's, it's useful to be a little bit, a little bit useful with that. The, uh, apart from that, um, copy will generally be, um, something that will be key. Um, so not all Amazon ads will enable you to write copy. Facebook definitely will. And, and some Amazon formulations will allow you that. So you need to be able to distill your novel into maybe six or 10 words, which is really hard to do. Um, I, I am not an expert at that. I and mean, I've kind of lucked into a few formulations that have worked very, 
very well over the years. Um, but that's because I test a lot of ads and, and I can see which ones are working, which ones aren't. Um, you also probably need to you have, I think, the ability to be able to trust the data as well. So you might have a, a, a gorgeous, um, so I think I heard Mal Cooper talk about this. So he had his kind of, he calls it spaceship ass. So if you're writing sci-fi, you'll have a, you know, a big starship, um, blasting off into the distance. And it's a fairly standard trope on, um, you know, military science fiction, science fiction covers. And I think Mal tested an image that went, um, against those precepts. And because Mal is good. He knows what he's, she's doing. Um, he was a, she was able to make sure that the ad was performing, um, was basically able to make sure that she, that she could see that it was working really, really well and was able to take a step back and consider that without looking at, um, what she felt was the most attractive cover, the most attractive image. She was able to look at which one was actually selling the best and being able to make a decision based on the data rather than, um, personal preferences. I've definitely found in playing with the BookBub ads, the ones I think are prettiest, you know, I'm over there in BookBrush, this, this is, looks nice, you know, nobody clicks on it. It's like there's not enough contrast or something. And then the ones that are like, yeah. well, that's kind of ugly. It seems to be those get the higher click-through rates. Yeah, well, if the data says that, then that's what you stick with. You know, it's, and I know I've done that too. And I've, I've kind of, I've commissioned artists to make beautiful images for me. And um, one that is basically they just kind of chucked in as an afterthought is the one that's converted. So you, you stick with that one. My last question, and I think Andrew's got a couple listener questions too, but um, I also signed up for the, when it was Facebook ads for authors or Facebook ads. Uh, I remember, I think you were doing at that time, a lot of uh, driving the traffic to like a landing page giving them a free book and building your list that way. Is that still your main strategy or do you go more for the direct sales now? Again, it depends what the aim is in that particular market. So uh, in the English speaking languages, I'll run those occasionally, but um, my main focus will be to, to drive sales because I mean, a, a benefit of driving sales, if your books are good enough, you'll get signups at the end of it anyway. So you can kind of get, you get two hits there with, um, but that's not to say that you, if you're starting out, you know, you, it's a good way to build an audience quite quickly at still at a reasonable price is, is to use those lead gen ads. Now, that's what I will be doing in Germany. So I've, I've actually, um, my translator has just finished um, translating a 20,000 word short that I've used as a giveaway in the English speaking languages for, for ages. So that will be, um, I'll be running lead gen campaigns in Germany, um, probably starting in the next couple of weeks. And I imagine, and again, this is, just me speculating because I haven't done this yet, but I imagine that will be a very cheap way to build an audience quite quickly. And of course, what I'll be trying to do with that, with those is to you get them in with the translation, they enjoy the, the, enjoy the novella, and then I make it really, really easy for them to see both at the end of the book and also in the first email that they'll, they'll get um, after finishing that the series continues with, you know, the next book in the series. There's six after that. So, um, yeah, maybe I'll, in six months' time, I'll tell you how effective that is in Germany, but I think it will be quite effective. Yeah, I like this idea. You you just tell us what's effective, and we'll just do that. <laughs> I'm the crash, crash test dummy of um, author advertising. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, Google so ads don't work, basically. There's a spoiler. Don't do Google ads. They're terrible. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, YouTube ads? <laughs> oh, yeah, they can work a bit, but um, again, a bit too expensive. 
<laughs> yep. Okay. So um, we had, like I said, I don't know, there were 50 comments on the post that said, um, you know, we're interviewing Mark, what are your questions? And uh, like 11 or 15 or something, people said, keep up the banter. Don't listen to anybody who says that they hate <laughs> the banter on your show. <laughs> and That's I'm nice. one of those. Now we, we couldn't, we couldn't switch it off. I, it's, it's a fun part of my week is taking the piss out of James. So no, that's never going to change. <laughs> it's, it's fun. Um, okay. So listener questions. I, I just picked three of them, um, because a bunch of them we answered, we asked already, but, um, the first one's from Carrie and these are all from members of our Facebook group. Um, that the question is you recently did a book trailer. Uh, what was the ROI? Is it really worth it? So yeah, I did, and that was um, that was one of the things I did for the launch the Atticus series was to is to have a nice little book trailer put together, and um, it was about five hundred dollars, something along those lines. So not cheap, um, but it's something that I will get a lot of use out of. That could be in. Um, just a Facebook ad. It could be a post into the Facebook group. Um, it will get you know, 50, 60, maybe a hundred thousand impressions, probably more than that actually by the time the book goes live. Um, and it's, it's a bit different. So I haven't, it's not a typical kind of book trail. It's a little bit original. Um, as to the ROI, um, that's quite hard to say because a lot of that, those impressions will be kind of organic or slightly you know, with a little bit of spend behind them. And I'm not tracking those particularly well. And also it's very difficult to track pre-orders because the, you can't use affiliate tracking um, on pre-orders because they don't show up. So um, for, for me, that's kind of, it's a bit of a luxury. I don't need, you know, I can afford to, to, to you know, to get the asset and then I can afford to use it. Um, I think it will do quite well, but I, I wouldn't be able to say exactly how well. Typically, I would say some of the bookshelves I see are awful. I, I think it's probably not going to be any good if you don't have any proficiency in, in the same way that I wouldn't try and do a book cover because I can't draw, right? So I, I wouldn't be doing that. Um, I wouldn't be making a book trailer for exactly the same reason. It's just I couldn't do it. So. Yeah, I had a book trailer done. Well, I did a book trailer. I had an actress actually do the, you know, the voiceover. And it was like when my book had been out for like maybe six months and it did draw traffic, but now it's, it's just so horrible. <laughs> the reason most of them don't work, I think this is my, my kind of theory on this is because it's the word trailer. So what we, what we have is, it's something that we may have spent 200 bucks putting together is competing with a trailer for the new Westworld series, which looks effing amazing, right? So, and comparing our book trailer with, with that, the experience could not be more different and it just feels amateurish most of the time. So, you know, I think those kinds of, you know, you can imagine man with deep Hollywood voice, um, kind of doing the blurb for our, our book trailer is always going to look a bit cheesy and I, it wouldn't make me want to buy that book, which is why for Atticus, it's, it's very different. Um, it just, it's very, very short. It's, it's completely silent. There's no sound. It just it should be intriguing. And then ends with a picture of the book at the end. It feels what a book trailer should be like for me. Um, yeah, I could be wrong, but that, that, that seems to work for me. Yeah. You make a good point about Westworld. And I mean, that's what trailers are. They're high production. They're almost movies of themselves. Yeah. Um, the next question is from Scott C. Morgan. And um, as a preface for this question, he says he loves your Milton series and thought the early ones were great. Um, but he asks, given the length and success of the John Milton series and the fact that most authors writing gets better the more books they write, 
Have you ever gone back to earlier Milton books to do touch-ups or do you have any angst over the difference between earlier books and later ones in terms of craft? He'd like to hear how you deal both psychologically and practically with any difference in quality or story satisfaction you perceive. Um, I mean, I guess I am getting better. The more you do something, the better you get. So I probably am a better writer now than I was when I wrote the first one. But I've, I'm also quite relaxed about that kind of stuff. So, you know, and, and the, the cleaner has done extremely well. It's, it's, I don't want to touch it too much because I don't know. It's not broken. So I don't need to fix it. But one thing I did do, um, and this is, I think this is me maturing as a writer was when I wrote it originally, I was very keen show my audience how how amazing my research was and how what a great writer I was. So I, I it's set in the east end of London and I used to live there. Um and I wanted to make sure that all of the the dialogue was accurate. So all the argo and the and the patois and the slang was accurate. Now it is it's all very carefully researched. It's you know it's it's very, very authentic. I now I know that and it makes me feel good, but I'm selling, I'm selling loads of book, these books to an American audience. They don't know what the hell I'm talking about. And I, I've had all, I've had readers eat loads of them over the years of um, emails said, look, or in the reviews as well. I'm saying this is, I basically couldn't make, it was nonsensical. I couldn't make any sense of it. And then the, the counter to that or the kind of corollary was, um, in the East End, kids will call the police feds. Right? They, they call them feds. Now, I, again, I know that's true because I've seen that happen, but most English people think feds is, is thanks for the FBI. So, so they think, they think I don't know what I'm talking about. The Americans don't make, don't know what I'm talking about either. So what well, I actually went back and I went, although it took a lot of time to, to make that authentic, I took all of that slang out, um, and basically smoothed and buffed it all the way down just so that, you know, it's no impediment between the story and the reader and, and what the author does not want to do. And again, this is just me being a bit more mature about my writing now is I don't need to show off how clever I am or how good a writer I am and how deep my research is. Um, the most important thing is, is the reader turning the pages. Um, and, and, and I didn't think that they were as much as they could. Um, so I, I, I did some, I did some surgery on that one. And hearing you say the cleaner, it reminds me of the TV show Spy. I'm not sure if you've seen that. I'm not going to need the cleaners. It's <laughs> <laughs> yes, <exactly>. great. <laughs> you could say it again and I'd be very happy. <laughs> okay. So our last question is from Beth and I don't know how to say her last name. Fratesi, I'm guessing it's Italian. Um, she wants to hear what your take is on rapid release and whether it's as big as everyone thinks it is. So I was listening to your podcast last week, um, and I think um, Mal spoke about rapid release, and I, I am also, um, I've never been a convert on that. Um, I, I think it's a bit overplayed. Um, I also fundamentally, as I said before, I'm a bit impatient, impatient, and I, I don't want to have a book sitting on my hard drive ready to go and not be selling it. Um, so I don't really buy that. Um, also, Mal made a really good point. What if you're writing, uh, you know, four, four or five books and you want to get them all ready? That could take you two or three years to, to do that. And then if there is any, uh, any benefit to rapid releasing, and I'm not sure that there is, um, that may have changed uh, by the time that you're ready to put those out. So it's far better, I think, to, um, 
to get them out there and start building an audience. Uh, you know, start using, start sending the ads to the first book in the series and, and getting people uh, invested and then ready for the second one when you've got it ready to go. If you're building a list, you don't need an algorithm to help you with that. You can, you can reach them directly. Yeah. And also, I mean, when you're in the beginning, a rapid release would work a lot better if you had a large backlist. And so, and by the time you have a large backlist, you're writing faster anyway. And so you're probably releasing more quickly anyway. Yeah. One thing I'm thinking about trying later this year is, I don't know if you guys have read the Dean Koontz um, shorts, the nameless series that he put out through um, APUB this year, last year. They're very short, six books, about 20,000 words each. And they, they were released very, very, either all at once in the kind of their Netflix binge away model or very, very um, a short, a short sequential launch. Um, I think that w would work quite well. And I might try something kind of on the kind of short serialized fiction route later in the year. Um, but, you know, I think that might work. If you, if you have all the content and it wouldn't take too long to write it, you could perhaps fire those out, each one pre-ordering into the next one. Um, but I, I, am, I don't think, if I was starting out, I wouldn't be writing three books banking those and then getting ready to push them out at the same time. It's never been demonstrated to me that it works all that well. Okay. Um, all right. So we've um, had you for like three or four hours now. <laughs> so <laughs> um, we're going to go ahead and wrap up now, but um, this is going to be going live on March 12th. So your, your self-publishing 101 course will already be open. Um, go ahead and tell listeners where they can learn more about it and more about you and all of that. Okay, so uh, if, if you're interested in reading my stuff, it's markjdawson.com. If you are interested in learning um, from me or the 101 course, as you say, would be will be open then. It's only open twice a year. Um, that's at selfpublishingformula.com. Uh, it might be, it'll be on the front page, but if it isn't, it'll be forward slash 101. Um, and, you know, I'm pretty easy to find on Facebook as well. So you can grab me at Self Publishing Formula at any of those places. And, you know, and we have a podcast, not as good as yours, but it goes out on Fridays that um, we, there's a bit of English banter now and again. <laughs> and the banter but, is great. It's fun. Um, so for people who don't know Self Publishing 101, what level of an author is that directed to? Um, like it's kind of the way I look at it is it's foundations. So, um, cause ads was the first course that I did. Um, and there's lots of reasons why it turned out that way, but one one is kind of from beginner to intermediate. So we've had some authors with six or seven books who weren't getting any traction, um, take that course and have, and they've subsequently done quite well by just putting the basics and the foundations into place. Once you have the foundations ready, then, then, then that would be when I would suggest you want to think about advertising, but not until you're confident that the, you know what you're doing because it's pretty easy to spend a lot of money on Facebook ads. But if your blurbs aren't working or your covers aren't right, um, then you're not going to, you're not going to get your money back. So you need to make sure that everything is lined up before you kind of pour the fuel on. So yeah, that, that's open. I think it's open for about three weeks from, as we record this, it goes live in two days time, but it will be open for about a couple of weeks when this goes live. Yeah, and for somebody, me, I mean, I had all of my ducks in a row when I started Facebook ads and it still cost me like uh, about a thousand, maybe $2,000 before I fully understood what I was doing. So yeah, you're going to want to have those ducks in a row before really hitting marketing hard. Um, all right. So everyone, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time on a very late <laughs> evening <laughs> after your kids are in bed. Uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. Appreciate it. And um, thank you to Josh for 
sorry, Joshua Pearson, let's be formal, my brother. I'm like, thanks, Josh, <laughs> for being our sound engineer. And if you have time to leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, whatever, we would really appreciate that. And then also come join our listeners only Facebook group, Six Figure Authors. And we've got the link to that in our show notes. So yeah, that's it for today. Thank you so much again. And we will talk to you all later. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks, Mark. So long, everybody. Bye.